Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13 through 16. The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's weary of bringing it to his mouth again. And the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. The book of Proverbs is full of heavenly wisdom for an earthly walk. And we've seen this again and again. And and it's amazing. We we began four months ago in this book. And and I made a statement at that time. I said it's a sleeves rolled up, boots on the ground, how-to training manual for righteous living. It is very practical. But throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon wrote a vast array of of different teachings of wisdom covering many aspects of life, many things that you and I struggle with or have to deal with or have to face in our lives. All of these things, as I like to remind you, inspired by the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit inspired Solomon to write what was written. The wisdom of Solomon is not his, it is the wisdom of God given to Solomon. And so as we read these things, we need to be conscious of that, cognizant of the fact that this is from the Lord. That He knows what's going on in our hearts, having created us, knowing us more intimately than we know ourselves. And so He gives us His words of wisdom to draw us forward in our lives. 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us, By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And we've talked about that word sanctification. It is a change process. The process by which we are made into the people that God already sees us as being. Which is a remarkable thought. We are already seen by the Father as holy, as righteous, as saints. And yet now, He is working us into that process, changing us, as much as we are willing to be changed. So keep in mind, even as we talk about this particular topic this morning, where this wisdom comes from, it comes from Christ who would change you, who would change me as well. Now, of all these areas covered in the book of Proverbs, one that we've seen pop up several times already is this idea of laziness. We haven't really dealt with it yet. We've talked about it a few times on a Wednesday night, gotten a good laugh out of it, because we like to joke about laziness. You know you're lazy when you order a delivery from a pizza place that you can see from your front door. (laughs) You know you're lazy when you consider the exertion of wrestling with the cellophane wrapping on a bag of Cheetos to be your daily exercise. (laughs) You know you're lazy when you turn on the TV, plop down on the couch, and watch an entire airing of The View because the remote's on the other side of the room. You know you're lazy when you will wait 15 to 20 minutes for a parking space instead of walking the extra 50 feet to Costco. I like this one. You know you're lazy when you do colors, whites, and dishes in the same load. You know you're lazy when you text someone in the same house because you don't want to go looking for them. Where are you? (laughs) And I like this too. You know you're lazy when the fish in the tank write, wash me on the inside of the glass. (laughs) 
We've all had times when we felt lazy. We've all had lazy days. But the lazy that Solomon is talking about is a problem. It is an issue. In fact, this word for sluggard in verses 13, 14, 15, and 16 is not, it's not an adjective, it's a noun. This is a person. This is a, a mentality. It's not just a description of behavior, it is the nature of a person who Solomon calls the sluggard. The sluggard. The Hebrew word for sluggard, it's atzal. And atzal means characteristically lazy, sluggish, slothful. By the way, speaking of slothful, did you know that the two and the three-toed sloths, they got their name because everything they do is slow? Have you ever watched a sloth? I mean, talk about if you're, you know you're lazy when you go to the zoo and spend most of your time at the sloth exhibit. Okay? They just do everything very slowly. I mean, they're just, it's an amazing creature to watch. They, they walk slowly. They, they move slowly. They eat slowly. They chew slowly. They blink. <laughs> slowly. The sloth. It's a perfect word for the slothful, a perfect example. You know, they can take an entire week to digest a single meal. The sloth can do that. Incredibly slow metabolisms. It can take a month for a sloth to travel a mile. (laughs) Not in a hurry. And they sleep an average of 15 to 18 hours a day. Right on. (laughs) There he is. (laughs) We first met the sloth, and and this this is your youth pastor, so whatever. (laughs) We first met the slothful man, the sluggard, back in Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 6 of chapter 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Now what caught my attention about this whole idea of the sluggard, and I, I've known it was here, I've, I've seen these different passages, I've, I've known this was coming, but I, I wasn't sure if I really wanted to talk about it, you know, laziness. I mean, it's a pretty simple answer to laziness. Get up off the couch and do something with yourself, you know. But the more I looked at this and thought about it, what caught my attention and why we're focusing on it today, is according to the Scriptures, the opposite of laziness The opposite of the sluggard is not the energetic. The opposite of the sluggard is not the go-getter. It's not the type A personality, the workhorse. That's what I would assume. That is not the opposite of the sluggard. Proverbs 15.19 tells us, The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Proverbs 21.25 says, The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. The opposite of laziness is righteousness. The opposite of laziness is righteousness. Remember Jesus' parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25. A master gave five talents to one of his servants. And then he gave two talents to another servant and a single talent to a third. And then he went on a long journey. And when he came back, the man who he had given five talents to returned it with five more. I invested it. I made something off of this. So here is ten talents for you. 
And, and the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You are faithful with a few things. I'll make you faithful over many things. He goes to the one who he gave two talents. And he, indeed, had also doubled those two talents. Now he had four. And he hands these back to the master. Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in many things. Now I'll put you in charge of... You're faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. And then he comes to the third slave or servant, the one who he had given one talent. And he said, oh, you know, I, 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 I hid it. Here it is. <laughs> Because I knew you were a hard man, and I knew you that you reap or you didn't sow, and you and so here, here's your talent back. And the master, do you remember what the master said? You wicked, lazy slave. You wicked, because the opposite of laziness is righteousness. Because laziness, inherent in laziness, is selfishness, and we're going to see that as we go here. The sluggard is the wicked man. The lazy man who is spiritually slothful, the the woman for whom the lethargy we're talking about is an insidious and gradual and inherently unrighteous thing. The opposite of righteousness is being a sluggard. The opposite of laziness is righteousness. Well, let's take a closer look at these few verses here, at this description in the book of Proverbs. Verse 13 again says, The sluggard says, There is a lion in the square. Or in the road, a lion is in the open square. A lion in the road, a lion in the open square, so the sluggard is covering all his bases. There's a lion in the road between my house and work, so I can't even go that direction. But even if I could, when I get there, there's a lion in the square. There's a lion in the marketplace. I'll get eaten up. So I can't travel there, nor can I work there. And the sluggard is avoiding both. If you want to jot this down, the sluggard looks for excuses. The sluggard looks for excuses. He imagines all kinds of reasons for holding back and holding up and disengaging from life. And it's wickedness. It is unrighteousness. Let's be clear about it. The Bible calls it sin. James says in 4.17, To one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, speaking to the church of Thessalonica, they had established a pattern. By the way, this is part of the pattern of benevolence in a church, I I believe. Then Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But but, but there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the open square. Translated, I'm under attack by the enemy. I'm being assaulted. My life is hard. So how can I be expected to go forward in faith when I'm always under attack? Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now listen, we noted this a couple of weeks back on a Wednesday night. A similar verse in Proverbs talking about the sluggard saying there's a lion out there. Well, Peter doesn't say the devil is a roaring lion. Peter says the devil is like a roaring lion. He appears as a roaring lion. He is a bogus imitation of the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is almighty. The devil is just a poor image. 
the devil uses terror more than anything else to try and keep us home, to try and keep us from proceeding spiritually. There's a lion in the square. He's like a lion, but he is not the lion. Jesus is the lion. 1 John 4, 4, You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Placed in the context of this verse, greater is Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, in you than Satan who is just like a lion on the road, or Satan who may be like a lion in the square. you got Jesus, man. So be not afraid of the lion, or the one who acts like a lion, or calls himself like a lion. You want to know how to handle the supposed attack of the supposed lion? Take a lesson from Benaiah. Benaiah, keep your finger there. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel 23. Verse 20. It's just one verse, but I want you to see this with your own eyes. 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. 2 Samuel, David's listing out the uh, mighty men. And then he talks about his these separate tiers. He has the upper tier, the top three. And then he has the next tier. And on the next tier here is Benaiah, verse 20. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds, killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab. Ariel means lion-like. So Benaiah killed these two lion-like sons of Moab. Lion-like. I don't know what that means. I don't know if they had like 80s-style rocker hair, you know, big manes of hair, hairy guys, you know. Maybe they didn't cut their fingernails. I don't know. But he took these guys out. Lion-like guys. And he goes further. It says, He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. I love the description. It's cold. It's snowing. It's not the kind of weather anybody wants to be out. It's gray and depressing. Stay home. Stay by the fire. There's a lion out there. And Benaiah goes, I'll get him. And out he goes. And he goes into a pit to fight this lion. This is a dangerous setup here. Icy, slippery, and in the pit, Benaiah did not wait for the attack to come to him. He went on the attack. He went after it. Whether it was against lion-like men or against a lion in the pits. And Proverbs 28 verse 1 tells us, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And Benaiah was righteous in his boldness. Bold as a lion. And when there are lions in the road or lies in the square, or even in the pits of life. See, because that's where Satan, who is like a lion, tends to like to attack, when we're in the pits. You know, when we're cold. When we're feeling unloved. When we're in that place where it's just life is caving in around us. That's where he likes to attack. But see, a Benaiah-type person, a righteous man, goes to the pit to fight goes armed and ready to take out the lion. The righteous gang take the offensive. We don't shrink back in fear. We go forward in faith. But the sluggard invents reasons and imagines dangers to hang back from God's work. And that's the other thing to note about verse 13. Back, Go back to the Proverbs now. Verse 13, 
is the, the sluggard is, is saying something that may or may not be real. It may very well be something imagined. And we can be very good at that, imagining dangers on the road, imagining the threats to come, imagining all manner of worries in our lives that have not come true, that have not come to pass, rather than having faith and just trusting the Lord. Well, the the more the sluggard looks for excuses, the more, secondly, the sluggard is lulled to lethargy. Verse 14, he is lulled to lethargy as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. Boy, that reminds me of college. <laughs> I remember Saturdays, and you know, something about being in college, you have to, you have to readjust your mentality to, to real world thinking, because in college, oftentimes, you're up all night, and then you're sleeping all day. I remember studying all night long for a test and then sleeping through the test and not going to class at all. I mean, what kind of sense is that? I remember Saturdays where we would wake up after Cheryl and I were first married. We'd wake up and hit the alarm and go back to sleep and sleep and sleep and around noon or one o'clock, look at each other and go, ah, hit the alarm and go back to sleep. I remember getting up. I kid you not, at four in the afternoon to get breakfast. <laughs> that, my friends, is a sluggard. And, but there's just something about it that the longer you're in bed and the longer you're sleeping, you know, when you get sick and you're on the couch and a day turns into two, turns into three, it's just harder and harder to have any motivation at all. And that's the sluggard. He's turning on his bed like a door on the hinges. You know what a door does? Nothing. It just opens and closes. It doesn't go anywhere. Same as the slugger in bed, just rolls over one side, then he rolls back the other, and chances are good he's creaking as he goes. You know? Sluggard on his bed. What a telling picture. This guy is restless, he's sleepless, but he won't get up and do anything about it. Proverbs 19.15 says, Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. Keep your finger there in Proverbs 26. Go back to Proverbs 24, just a couple chapters back. And I found this so interesting. We, we closed out the what we call the first edition of the Proverbs because it closes with chapter 24, the original edition that, that Solomon compiled. But this is what he closes with, verse 30 of chapter 24. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Then your robbery will come as your poverty will come as a robber, and your want like an armed man. Solomon closes out. His rendition, his edition of the first set of the Proverbs with that proverb. And we asked on that Wednesday, why? Why did he choose this one to close out all of these words of wisdom that we had studied for 24 chapters? Why end with the sluggard? And it's very simple, because wisdom doesn't just come to you. you got to want it. If you would be wise, you got to go after it. You have to pursue wisdom. You need to open the Word. You need to be in prayer. You need to surround yourself with other believers in Christ if you would be wise. Now, if you would be a fool, ignore all of that. 
If you would choose a life of foolishness, don't pursue God at all. But there is an absolute pursuit in the life of faith. A going after things, not a staying in bed. And Jesus addressed this as a wake-up call. In fact, on a broader scale, Jesus talking to the churches. In fact, turn over to Revelation chapter 3. Let's go there. And if you're too tired to turn the pages of Scripture, (laughs) Jesus wrote seven letters in the book of Revelation. And these seven letters were to seven actual historic churches there in Asia Minor, along an Asian postal route, these seven churches were there. So it was a great way to get this word out, to get the revelation out to the people, because it would hit these major cities, and then it would go out from there. And so, very wisely, Jesus spoke a letter to each one of the major churches in each major city. But, as you study these, and I encourage you to do this when you take the time and and go listen online and study these through. Because you will see with each one of these churches that Jesus is speaking not only specifically historically, but He is speaking prophetically to a church in a certain age of the church of the last 2,000 years. And it is remarkable. It's absolutely astounding. Even the names of the cities in which those churches are speak to the kind of church that Jesus is addressing and concerned with. And the one that He begins chapter 3 verse 1 in is Sardis. Sardis. He says, to the angel of the church in Sardis, he who has the seven spirits of God, that is the Holy Spirit, and the seven stars, says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. You have a name. The word name is onoma, where we get our word denomination. Jesus, I believe, in writing to the church at Sardis, is writing to the church of the Reformation. That time period, and by the way, that church is in existence today, but when the Great Reformation began, running all the way up to present day, there is still, there is the denominationalism of churches in the world. Now please understand me, I'm not about to bash on a specific denomination or a church, and if a church is called Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, it doesn't matter. The question is, is the Holy Spirit there? The question is, are they teaching the Word of God and focused in on Jesus Christ? Because if they are, they will not be dead. They will be alive. Interesting that Jesus begins this letter to uh, saying, He who has the seven spirits of God. Because one of the things lacking in denominationalism today is the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, gang, when you look at all the evidence, mainline denominationalism is dying in the world. It's dying. It is not holding up. It's sleepy. It is within mainline denominational churches that this sluggishness has taken hold. Clinging to old traditions, while at the same time, ironically, embracing tolerance for unrighteousness. We have a way of doing things and we're going to do it that way, but we're also going to open the door to all manner of unrighteous things, hoping to be relevant to to today's culture. The opposite of laziness is righteousness. And what I would say to any denominational church, and what I would say to us, Bridge Fellowship, is we better be a church pursuing righteousness. And we want to be a church that's alive in the Holy Spirit, alive in the Word of God. We are a church who takes this Word seriously and we pursue righteousness. We are not lazy about it. We're not going to sit back on what we've done in previous years. We are always going to be looking forward. The church at Sardis 
Sardis, the denominational church, Church of the Reformation. Look at verse 2. Wake up, Jesus says, and strengthen the things that remain, remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. And indeed in the Reformation we saw a huge turnaround. When it first began, we saw a passionate return to the Word of God. A true flame was lit, a fire of change in the church, but that fire fizzled out so quickly and didn't continue or finish what it began. The laziness that has lulled denominational Christianity today is in direct correlation, listen, direct correlation to the amount of time spent or not spent in the Word of God. Verse 3, Jesus says, Remember what you have received and heard. And keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. And you know what's amazing? Jesus does not come as a thief to those who are awake. Those who are awake and alert and sober and looking for the coming of Jesus will not be shocked when it happens. Maybe a little surprised. You know, you're paring an apple and up you go. But if you're expectant for the coming of Jesus, if you're looking for the coming of Jesus, He's not a thief to you. He's a Savior. And we're not people of darkness. We are people of light. Called up to be saved by Jesus Christ. But He comes as a thief in the night to those who are not expecting His return. Jesus speaking to, I believe again, the denominational church of today says, you better wake up. Because if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will wonder, what happened? Where to go? What's going on? There's a real serious warning that comes along with this. Now back to Proverbs 26. Understand, there's a downward progression going on here. A downward progression that begins with a sluggard saying there's a lion in the road, a lion in the open square. I'm not going out of my house. And then it continues. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard in bed. I'm not even going to get out of bed. And then it gets one step worse. Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. Now, we got a good laugh out of this one a few Wednesdays back. This is said in another place. I mean, just the whole picture is so graphic of someone so tired that they can't even get from bowl to mouth. Their hand hits the bowl, they grab a hold of the food, and it just... this. I'm just going to leave it there. Maybe I'll get it later. But here's the danger. The slugger gang loses, number three, loses his appetite. The slugger looks for excuses and he's lulled into lethargy. Number three, the slugger loses his appetite. In this absurd, almost comical picture of laziness to the extreme, gang, it's a sad commentary on those who approach the Word of God, who would put their hand on the Bible and start to pick it up and just go, not today. I'm going to do something else. You want to know how most efficiently to lose your appetite for the Word? Stop eating. Just stop eating. Oh, you'll miss it at first. You know, a week or two will go by, and you'll miss being in the Word of God, and you'll miss your time with Jesus studying His Word. But after a while, the hunger fades. It does. And so does the desire. And I say this gently, but I've seen it happen in nearly eight years of Wednesday night Bible studies at the bridge. I've seen seen people come and open up the Word. And hey, 
You think we go long on Sunday mornings. If you haven't been there Wednesday night, show up. Because we get into it and we stay in it for quite a while. I've seen people come and go, oh, I just love it, love being in the Word. This is great. Get really excited. I've seen people last months, years, and then life starts to get busy. I, I, just, I couldn't make it this Wednesday. Yeah, you know, I'd like to be there, but I'll try and get there next week. And at first they're telling me, and I've heard it, oh, I really miss being there. Well, I'll be back. I'll be back. I really miss it. Yeah, you miss it. You, that hunger, pain hits every now and then. But over time, it's just not important anymore. The hunger goes away. If you used to feed well on Wednesday nights, I invite you to come back and regain your appetite for the Word of God. And dig into the Word. If you would be wise, if you would be energetic in the Spirit, if you would be someone who wants to grow in righteousness, then you take it in as often as you possibly can. Proverbs 13 verse 4 tells us, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. And that kind of fatness I am all over. I am for that kind of caloric intake. The Hebrew word fat there, listen to this, is dashain, and it means to thrive. And we're not talking about a gym. It means to thrive, to be healthy, to be strengthened. And so the soul of the diligent. And Paul said, be diligent with the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved. Be diligent to show yourself approved, Paul told Timothy. A workman who needeth not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Diligence, strength, health. Remember what Jesus said to Sardis? Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. Hey, just because you've lost your appetite for the word doesn't mean that you're a lost cause. Wake up and chow down. Wake up and feed. Breakfast is ready. Lunch is ready. Dinner is ready. You know, I love the line in It's a Wonderful Life. You know, uh, what's the main character's name? Um, George Bailey. And his, his dad's brother, his uncle, are sitting there and they hear the train whistle off in the distance. And George Bailey goes, Oh, you know what the three most wonderful sounds in the world are? And his uncle goes, Yeah, breakfast is served, lunch is served, dinner is served. <laughs> You know, where the Word of God is concerned, that's absolutely true. Breakfast is served, lunch is served, dinner is served, and how about a midnight snack while you're at it? Dashain, to be healthy, to be strengthened, the soul of the diligent is made dashain, it's made to thrive. By the way, that word dashain, translated fat or thriving or healthy, also is one of three synonyms in the Hebrew for anointed. Anointed. Be diligent that you might be one who is anointed. John says in 1 John 1.20, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. He says down in verse 21 of 1 John chapter 1, As for you, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone else to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. Which tells us you don't have to come here to feed on Wednesday night. You can feed because you have an anointing. Each one of you, if you're walking in Jesus, you're anointed in Jesus Christ. Open the Word and see what He shows you. Well, yeah, but I I can't come up with like all those acronyms and stuff that you come up with, Pastor Rick. (laughs) It's not about acronyms. It's about action. 
And it's about walking in the anointing that you have, that I have in Jesus Christ. Open His Word. You are anointed. You don't need me to teach you. The Word is available. The Spirit will be your guide. The one who is thriving in the Word of God has the anointing of the Spirit of God on their lives, and they're the ones who are spiritually healthy and spiritually energetic, spiritually thriving. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be satisfied. And remember, the opposite of laziness is righteousness. But the sluggard doesn't feel like eating. He's lost his appetite. He's no longer hungry for these things. He begins looking for excuses. Lulled to sleep. Loses his appetite. Do you see where he's going here? It's a downward progression. Finally, he not only loses his appetite for the Word, but for all spiritual things. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 Paul, I believe, wrote, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Not to be a sluggard. This issue of sluggardly Christianity what makes it so insidiously dangerous is it becomes more and more inwardly focused. I mean, think about, again, the progression. Start by saying, I'm not going to go out. And then saying, yeah, I'm going to stay in bed. And then saying, I'm not even going to eat. And then finally saying, verse 16, the slugger is wise, sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Now, I'm just going to stay in my own head. Because I'm wiser than anybody anyway. It's all here. i got everything I need right here. I don't really need the world. I don't need you. I don't need the Word. I don't need any of this other. I'm just going to stay right here. And number four, the sluggard becomes a legend in his own mind. <laughs> a legend in his own mind. He really believes that he is wiser, he is foolishly and stupidly believing that he is wiser than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Who are these seven men? If you compare this, going back to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1, which gives us this personification, this feminine personification of wisdom, we're told wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars. Seven pillars, meaning that wisdom is established. And wisdom is strong, and wisdom will stand. Now here we read of the wisdom of seven men. Seven men, the woman wisdom having her seven pillars, is speaking of complete wisdom. And every time you come to understanding that there is a complete wisdom, an absolute wisdom, a total wisdom, you are talking about Jesus Christ. Who is wisdom? In and of Himself, wisdom incarnate. He is the complete man. Like seven men of wisdom, Jesus is the complete man, Colossians 2.3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But the sluggard thinks he knows better. The sluggard thinks he's got it all together. And this is dangerous because if we think that we know best, if we think we're good to go, we shrink back. And we stop trying. And our spiritual life becomes something of tradition or religion or 
culture or my social club. Instead of saying, no, I'm, I'm pursuing wisdom. I will be changed by what I hear. I will be changed by what the Lord tells me. I will not remain where I am. That's laziness and it is unrighteousness. The opposite of laziness is righteousness. Aren't you spiritually sluggish? And I I challenge you, I, I can't look into your heart. I don't know. You can't look into mine. Only the Spirit knows exactly where our hearts are. But you have an idea of where you are. Do you find yourself biblically bored? Or righteously run down? Or ecclesiastically exhausted? Piously pooped. (laughs) Holding back and holding up and shrinking from faith will only add to your general lethargy. If you're bored now, stay where you are. (laughs) Give yourself a few more years and you won't be able to tolerate even walking in a door of a church. The Hebrew writer says, Hebrews 10.36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. The sluggard shrinks back. The lazy man lays low. But the righteous lives by faith. Listen, the degree to which we exercise faith is the degree to which we are energized by righteousness. The more we step out in faith, the more we walk in faith, the more we choose the things of God, the more energetic our righteousness will be. The more enlivened, the more invigorated, the more wide awake. Now I want to show you one more thing, so keep your finger there and turn back to 2 Kings 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. I'll show you how this works in our, in our lives of faith. We're at the very end of Elisha's life. 2 Kings chapter 13. Elisha, the protege of Elijah. Elijah did amazing, powerful things. Elisha did even more amazing, powerful things as the prophet who followed his mentor. And Elisha now is about to die. And we're told in verse 14, 2 Kings 13, 14. When Elisha became sick with the illness of which he was to die, Yoash, the king of Israel, came down to him and, and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Now, you need to understand, Yoash was a wicked king. So what he's doing here right now is all for show. It's all bogus. It's not heartfelt. It's not a reality. It's, he's, just, he's just playing up to this. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. And then Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window toward the east. 
And he opened it. And then Elisha said, Shoot! And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Aramans at effect until you have destroyed them, or literally until you make an end of them. So something's happening here. Elisha is prophesying. And he's prophesying over Yoash. He's saying, you fire east, that's in the direction of Aram, and you're going to take them out. And your task, your job, is to make an end of them, completely wipe them off the face of the earth. They are to be gone, and it's your role, it's your calling. And then he said, verse 18, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. And the picture here, that's kind of being portrayed before us is of King Yoash taking the arrows and, you know, he's placating Elisha. I'll shoot out the window. Poing! Okay, what now? Oh, take the arrows. Hit the ground with the arrows. Alright, you know, he'll be dead soon. No, whatever. Tap, tap, tap. Yeah? What? And Elisha, we're told, is angry. Verse 19. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now, you shall strike Aram only three times. What's going on here? <laughs> Elisha is prophesying truth that Israel's going to go up against Aram and fight them. But Elisha is also revealing the heart of Yoash, which does not have faith, the faith needed. You might say, well, that's not really fair. What if he didn't know? He knew. He knew. The Lord knew Yoash's heart. Elisha knew what he was doing. And he said, I want you to take the arrows and strike. In other words, have faith. Have faith in the Lord. Have faith in this Word from God. Have faith in the Word and you will move forward. And Yoash's response is tap, tap, tap. And how often is that the way that we can be? Do you see why laziness is the opposite of righteousness? The righteous man, like Benaiah, goes into the pit, goes after the tiger, is on the offensive, fighting the lions, taking on life, even in the dead of winter. The sluggard, like Yoash, doesn't really believe anything good can come from tapping into God's Word. Yeah, okay, I'll I'll show up Wednesday night and we'll see if it changes my life. You know, it probably won't. If you come this Wednesday, we'll be in the Word and we'll worship. And if it's the first time you've been, or maybe the first time you've been in a long time, it may not change your life in the least. And you go home going, tap, see? See? It's no big deal. You know, i got other things going on. You try to open the Bible tonight and spend some time in prayer and, and five minutes go by, tap, ten minutes, tap, fifteen minutes, tap, and you go... Yeah, I, I need to get some rest. Besides that, Grisham novels really call it, you know. Tap into faith. Tap into the Word of God. Tap into the power of His Holy Spirit. And strike the sluggard that is within you. The sluggard that is within me. Because the unrighteousness of the sluggard, another way to put it, is the opposite of righteousness is selfishness. And the sluggard begins again from not going out to staying in the bed, to not eating anymore, to being in his own head. Just drawing back inwardly instead of going out spiritually and passionately for the Lord. In the parable of the talents, Jesus said to the wicked, lazy servant, He said, Matthew 25, 29, For to everyone who has, more shall be given. 
and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. What does that mean, Jesus? Your faith. He's talking about your faith. If you have faith, you're going to have more. And you're going to have an abundance of it. And you're going to tap into God's Word and His Spirit. And you're going to be moving forward with energy and thriving and diligent to all the things as you know Jesus is coming. But if you don't have faith, if you listen to this stuff and say, eh, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's really for me. Even what you do have, Jesus says, will be taken away. You'll look for excuses. You'll be lulled into lethargy. You'll lose your appetite until you're a legend in your own mind. And Jesus says, I want you to have faith. The degree to which we exercise faith is the degree to which we are energized in righteousness. And Paul wrote in Romans 1.17, we'll end with this, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Do you understand what that means? It means to get to faith, you have to begin with faith. Righteousness of God is revealed from faith. You begin by believing to faith. You get more faith. And the more faith you exercise, the more faith you will have. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, it seems to me these four verses on the sluggard are a call to arms and a call to diligence in these last days. The call to trusting You, going after the things that You have for us. We call, Lord, to just simply going forward in boldness. Holy Spirit, I pray, would You make this fellowship bold in the name of Jesus. Bold in the living of our lives. Diligent in looking for how we can be engaged in faith and righteous things. And all the more, Father, rejecting not only the old traditions of religion, but the tolerance of today in favor of truth, Lord. May we be loving, but truthful. And we pray Your Spirit to develop that balance in us. And Lord, to make us alive and awake In Jesus Christ, until you come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.